I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, welcome along to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine, where we take a look through an author's working day. This week, we're chatting to J.P. Ryger, once an attorney, now an author. We chat about his love of nonsense and absurdity. Also, how he's worked that into a detective crime novel. And you can hear how, really, after coming to writing novels quite late, he's simply happy if anyone gets to read his work. I do the writing because I like it, and uh, if anyone else happens to like it, hooray, uh, which really makes me happy. But I would still write even if it's just my wife you know, reading what I write. It's just, a w- I really just enjoy writing. Um, I had a my most recent novel uh, that I finished after Clonk, uh, I'm trying to get now that's being sent out to various publishers, niche publishers, to see if they have any interest. And I've gotten a few rejects back, but I told one of my guys, I said, you know, I don't really, I, for me, this is great because someone actually read it. You know, even if they didn't like it, you know, it's cool that I wrote something and someone read it. It's all on the way with JP Ryger in a brand new writer's routine. Yes. Welcome along to the show then. My name's Dan Simpson and this is Writer's Routine. Thank you for finding, for following, for listening, for sharing, for being there. Uh, We take a look through an author's working day to see how they get stuff done. How they take an idea from their head, how they plan their day and their space around that to give them the best chance of getting it down on the page. And for this week and the next couple of weeks, uh, Plotter is sponsoring the show. Plotter is a fantastic writing tool that does what the title says. It plots, it helps you plan your books the way that you think, and it will help you outline faster, organise smarter, and simply to just turbocharge your productivity to give you the best chance of getting it down. It's the point of the show. And when you open the software, it's perfect if you're quite a visual writer because you've got a digital corkboard there where you can easily swap between the timeline, the outline, your notes, details on your characters and places, all of it's colour-coded as if it might be in a notebook, but it's there on your screen so you don't need to turn away, so you can always take it with you. You can see everything that's going on wherever you want. It lets you track all the details of your plot at a fine-tuned scene level to switch and swap them however you like. Plotter helps you spend more time writing and less time worrying about everything else. And for us writers, we can get a bit distracted, right, with the window dressing around getting your story down. One of the things this show does is to streamline that for you to see how other successful writers do it. And this software can help you do it too. It helps you spend much less time faffing around with everything else and just 
helps you get the words down. Now, the best way for you to see what it does and how helpful it can be is by getting to go.plotter.com slash routine and taking a look around. While you're there for the next couple of weeks, you can get 10% off the software with this show. So take a look, see what you think. Use the link, it's in the episode notes of this show to help you take advantage of their fantastic 10% deal. Get to go.plotter without an E, P-L-O-T-T-R, go.plotter.com slash routine. So we're getting into what summer proper now here in the UK. And I'm thinking we've had a few months since I've done another call out for book recommendations. You might remember right at the start of the year, I began to put together a long list of your book picks. Doesn't need to have been written recently, maybe something that's been published for years that's been highly pushed towards you and you finally picked it up and you want to pass that on. Well, I reckon we've got a fantastic community of writers and vociferous readers of this show who are all around the world. So it's high time that we get back to that book recommendation list. You can see what we've got so far over at writersroutine.com and I'd love to add to that. Maybe you've been on holiday over the last few weeks and you've picked up some fantastic beach reads that you absolutely tore through in less than a day. Uh, Maybe it's something that's been around for a while that you've really taken your time over. You've savoured the characterization, the brilliant way that the scenes and the, the sense of place has been written down for you. I'd love to know because then it gives us all something to read. Other ideas Uh, different lanes that we can move into, genres perhaps we wouldn't normally read, we can have a look there at your recommendation. So I'd love to know all about the best book that you've read this year. Now we're what? Almost seven months in. Well, I think seven months by the time that you'll listen to this. Seven months in. I'd love to know the best book that you've read this year. Please let me know. Use the contact page at writersroutine.com. Now, this week, we're looking through the working day and writer's routine of J.P. Ryger, and we talk all about his new novel, Clonk. Now, J.P., Paul, worked as an attorney for many years and is now an amateur musician and a published novelist. And I love bringing you all sorts of writers, and Paul's story is quite an interesting one. He writes books pretty much whenever he fancies, and then a local niche publisher puts them out there. Clonk is all about the Baltimore City police detective Kev Dixit seeking the murder of a local artist and all about the characters and the strange people that he meets along the way. We talk about how Paul managed to write a detective novel mixed in with his love of dark, absurd humour. Also how the book started out as an attempt to write a novel about a cop in London, but when he couldn't quite figure that out, he decided to tweak things and write what he knew. Also, you can hear how making music influences his day all around the writing and how much his day might have been different if he'd started focusing on writing earlier on in his life. There's a lot on the way. I think you'll really enjoy it. So let's get into it with J.P. Ryger. And we start, as always, with what he sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. Well, this is my home office and it is essentially a uh, a pseudo Phil Marlowe castle. I have my uh, knotty pine paneling surrounding me, my ancient fluorescent light, my uh, two wooden file cabinets, and my uh, bookshelf, five bookshelves that are wall length, uh, holding all my legal books, um, my Beach Boys smile box set, my 
signed Smiley Smile Beach Boys LP. Um, my family's wine collection here that will at least get us through the week. And uh, assorted other nonsense. Oh, a stereo receiver to listen to uh, internet radio and jazz and 60s psychedelia and so forth. There's a lot going on. I sometimes speak to authors and their writing space is very sparse, minimalist. They don't want much to distract them. Whereas just like listing everything that's around you, th- there seems to be a lot that could take your attention uh, away. Is, is, is that how it's designed? You like to fill yourself with different ephemera and, and uh, ideas? Yes, yes. I, I find it all very inspiring and it's fun to look at it. And, uh, you know, it gets me away from my usual routine of drooling and navel-gazing. You know, I look up, you know, <laughs> what? Oh, I'm in my office. So, no, but seriously, it's a lot of fun to see all this stuff. I I just like it. So, uh, this is my little man cave and it's where I do most of my writing. Is there anything that helps you be productive nearby, that draws you into the story? I'm talking maybe a whiteboard where you put your plot points or post-it notes or a few notebooks anywhere? No, I... Um, you know, in the ancient days when I was starting to write while I was really more of a full-time attorney, I'm mostly retired now, I would have uh, actual notebooks, paper, and take them with me um, on, you know, business trips, vacations even. Um, and if I'm going to the beach, I'll bring the notebook and write stuff on the beach instead of reading. And uh, so I have some of those still floating around, but as I moved into retirement, I began more, I guess, conventional, conventionally writing things on a laptop and that, you know, I don't really use paper anymore, hardly at all. But uh, so my laptop is here in my office and uh, it sits there and I can communicate uh, with the outside world and also get all my ideas down. Um, I think I mentioned I was an attorney and still am, but in the ancient days, I was um, constantly writing legal type things, and um, all of these uh, legal endeavors required very strict outlines. So you, one would have to prepare like a traditional alphanumeric outline of precisely what it was you were going to submit, you know, whether to a legal treatise or you know a publication. Or uh, in my case, we did a lot of. Um, continuing education seminars for other attorneys and paraprofessionals and you'd have to come up with a very strict outline and submit it to the proper you know person at the institution or the licensing agency and you know you'd have to get it approved and it's that's a bore i mean for me it's like oh my gosh another outline and so um when once i got more into writing fiction i stopped doing any kind of outline. And I just started um, writing down like uh, a series of scenes from the novel. And so I would just, you know, get on a Word document and um, write down different scenes, just very brief little descriptions of the scene that would be a key part of the novel. And um, if I had a little turn of phrase or funny um, dialogue or something that came to me, I'd write that down too. And uh, once I felt I had the full novel together, that's when I would just start writing the scenes. I'd just pick something I felt like writing on uh, from the novel and, and get it down on paper and, you know, whatever I was in the mood to do. Yes, yes. there's kind of so much going on. I speak to a lot of, well, not a lot. That's a terrible way of phrasing it. I I have noticed that 
a few writers and authors that I've spoken to over the years were lawyers in a, I guess we'll say a previous life. Um, what is it? And you and, and the books that you've written so far are quite, you know, quite creative and left field in their humor. I was having a look around on your website earlier on and like, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of humor. There's a lot of funniness that's in your website, which is not, I'll be fair. It, it's not something you kind of expect from the outside with attorneys. And, and where do you find kind of that creativity balances with doing quite a, strict organized job like being an attorney being a lawyer oh that's that's a good question um over the years you know in my case i have to kind of stifle my enthusiasm for humor in my professional setting although amongst my co-workers who knew me and got to love me notwithstanding that i loved them too uh, we had many laughs and so that that was great but um, for the customers and the clients and all, you, one has to be professional unless you get to know them well enough that they can accept a, a dose of humor. But um, yeah, it's always a balance where you have to kind of be careful about what you might say to someone. Um, and I think I've managed to do that. Didn't get myself fired, at least. So that's one good thing. Um, yeah, I'm glad you like the website. I, I mean, I I just like humor and I just like nonsense and absurdity and um that's what a lot of my novels are. But they're also, you know, essentially, uh, right now, it's mostly like mystery, police, um, crime, with farcical aspects. Um, and, um, you know, that to me brings in, you know, maybe some of the legal things I've experienced in my career. Uh, I was never a criminal lawyer or anything. I just did very boring real estate type law. But I still ran into a lot of different oddballs. And um, in my most recent novel called Clunk, uh, there's a chunk of that plot that uh, revolves around uh, an illegal flipping, home flipping scheme that actually occurred in Baltimore in the mid-1990s. And it was really very devastating uh, to the communities. Um, basically, criminals would buy up um, cheap housing and trick banks into lending way over the value for the homes and trick people to borrow against them and get other criminals involved in this stuff. And essentially, they grab the money and let the loans go into fault and these homes would be abandoned and further blight on these neighborhoods. And so my experience as an attorney, you know, does find its way into some of these writings. We'll talk a bit about Clonk in, in just a second. Just one last thing touching on being an attorney. I, I mentioned that I've spoken to a, a, a few authors who were lawyers. Why do you think that link is there? What is it about being a lawyer that maybe when that's slowing down, you pick up the pen and start creating? Why do these two perhaps go hand in hand, would you say? I think it's because uh, probably most attorneys um, do a lot of writing. And in my case, it was constant. And um, once you get into the writing mode, you just, um, you know, you just get used to it. And you might want to just start, you know, moving into other areas, you know, from from nonfiction into fiction and from, 
you know, prose and to humor. So there's something, I think, in the attorney makeup that lends itself to, to writing. I get up, and my wife's a nurse, and she has to get up fairly early, too. And, um, you know, we base, I basically get up before her because, you know, I'm, I'm really an early bird. I get down to my office, and I just start, usually start writing uh, after a few cups of coffee. And if I'm in the middle of a novel, I'll just start banging it out. And if I'm not, I'm, you know, thinking of ideas and plots and different things. And um, then, you know, we'll have breakfast together. And uh, ultimately, I'll be on my own to uh, spend my day as a retiree for the most part. And what I do is um, I have a list, you know, as as uh, non-outline a person as I am for writing. I actually have like a little daily list of aspirational things I want to get done that day um, so that I can, you know, kind of push myself to do things and get a sense of satisfaction by completing them. But at any given point in a day where, you know, I'm doing a variety of things, um, you know, I will sit down and probably write a little bit, if not a lot, depending on, you know, where I am in a novel. I'm also um, an amateur musician, very amateur. And um, oddly enough, I was in several, you know, bands and so forth back in the 80s. And one of the groups I was in with four, you know, local guys, you know, friends, um, we all are spread across the U.S. now, so we rarely can see each other in person. But we realize we can actually start writing and performing music, recording music, uh, over the web. So in the last year or so, we've gotten back together, and especially since I'm mostly retired, it's great. Uh, and we are working on songs together where we you know, send parts of songs to each other for comment and for each other to add parts to. So the vocalist will add his parts and guitar and the drummer will add his and his vocals and keyboards and so forth. So a lot of my day is also spent uh, working on music. So those are my two big things, uh, writing and music. Uh, As far as, you know, the rest of the day, I mean, I'm just working on these different things throughout the day. And then my wife comes home and we, uh, you know, basically have our dinner together, relax. And that's the end of the writing pretty much. Um, I, you know, come back the next morning and do it all over again. How do you divide that time with the different pursuits that you're interested in? You mentioned that you start writing in the morning, but through the afternoon, you might write, you might play some music. Uh, how coordinated is your time of when you'll do each of those? Well, luckily now, uh, you know, I'm very free to just pick and choose what I particularly feel like doing as the mood strikes. So unless there's something more critically important going on that has to be attended to, um, I'm just uh, doing whatever I feel like doing at the time, which is really what retirement, I hope, for most people is all about, being able to finally get to do the things that you just kind of get a lot of satisfaction from. So there's no real strict um, division, uh, just kind of do what what I feel like doing. (laughs) Is there a working process in what you want to get done with your writing? How much are you of an author who will say, right, I want to get 5,000 words done this week. I want to get 1,500 words done today as long as they're done. How much do you think about that side of thing, even though you are a bit flexible, perhaps with when you're doing it through the day? Well, at this point, I uh, don't have any like you know book contracts where I got a, a publisher you know 
beating me across the brow for, you know, not turning something in or, you know, pushing me to meet a schedule. So I, I don't really force myself to do anything as far as number of words. I'm, I still consider myself an amateur and I'm, you know, learning every day. But once I get into writing a thing, I really just love it so much that it's hard not to. I mean, I, I do the writing because I like it. And uh, if anyone else happens to like it, hooray, uh, which really makes me happy. But I would still write even if it's just my wife, you know, reading what I write. It's just, a, I really just enjoy writing. Um, I had a my most recent novel uh, that I finished after Clonk. Uh, I'm trying to get, now that's being sent out to various publishers, niche publishers, to see if they have any interest. And I've gotten a few rejects back, but I told one of my guys, I said, you know, I don't really, I, for me, this is great because someone actually read it. You know, even if they didn't like it, you know, it's cool that I wrote something and someone read it. And, you know, someone might like this too, and maybe it'll get published. If not, I'll, you know, do go back to the dismal world of self-publishing. But um, anyway, so I don't push myself uh, artificially. I just, if I get into something I like doing, I just run with it. So that that's quite interesting that you kind of do and don't care who reads it like you would like like you, you're fine if it's your right wife that's the only one that read it you mentioned that uh, so when you were uh, when you had finished writing your first one the case files of roderick misley consultant why actively pursue publication when that was done if you're writing it for yourself or your wife why not just say you know what that's done yeah well you know we all every writer even though they just love writing for its own sake, like I do, you do want people to read what you write. It, it just feels good when someone reads it, especially if they like it. If they don't like it, it's still okay that they read it. So, yeah, there's probably an ego thing. You, you just want to share what you've done and hope to get some good reactions. And um, so when I self-published that, I knew nothing about anything. I certainly didn't know anything about publishing or agents or any of that. But I figured, well, you know, I can actually – put this out on my own and just, uh, you know, make up the cover myself and organize it myself and, you know, get it out there. And, you know, predictably, I, of course, I didn't even know what promotion was. I had no idea, but people did that. And of course it's sold, it's, you know, selling like hotcakes. I think I've, you know, a sack of hotcakes, there's about four. So I probably sold like four copies, but um, I haven't sold many, but, you know, a few people like it. And then they've contacted me and, told me they liked it. That's, hey, that's cool. So, yeah, you do need, if you can get feedback on top of it all, it, just, it is icing on the cake. Um, here's, here's a question, and, and this, might, like, this might sound like a bad question to ask, right? And I apologize for that. I don't mean it this way at all. But you've mentioned how you're retired, right? So you're kind of doing this. You love writing, so you are writing. If you had wanted to focus more on writing when you were starting your career, you didn't want to worry about being an attorney. You wanted to be a writer. How much do you think you would have structured your day differently? Would you be more focused? Oh, I certainly would have because, you know, I would have looked at that as a vocation with the goal of, you know, earning enough to live. So, yeah, I would have, you know, done everything I could and turn it into a career and, uh, you know, I do have some friends who are uh, career writers, and their their life is totally 
um, much like mine was as an attorney. I mean, it's they're very disciplined and uh, brilliant people, and that's you know that's what they chose to do, and I'm sure they love it too. So yes, I would have been like one of the you know career writers if I could have made it. Um, but I at the time I. You know, I was not, I loved reading. I wasn't so much a writer um, coming out of college. Um, I, you know, once I got into law school, I was focusing on, uh, you know, doing the legal writing and trying to get through law school and pass the bar and all that stuff. And it wasn't really until I practiced law and had a little bit more time to focus on the books I enjoyed reading that I thought, you know, I think I could try to write something too. And I started doing it at that point i love that i love that idea that you know you're kind of waiting for it to be like right like a, a, a right for you to do that um just one last thing on kind of the day and the well maybe not actually the day and the process when you're struggling when those words aren't coming out i don't know do you put any pressure on yourself to get words down if you've and uh, even if you're in contract uh i you know for me i I don't really, um, I don't really struggle with uh, any of the writing. I mean, I, you know, knock on wood, I don't really have writer's blocks or anything. I just think of dumb things and you know write them down. So I'm always, uh, you know, I'm always thinking of dumb things. So um, it's easy for me because I'm I'm not writing. Uh, I would say more sophisticated literary fiction things that might really take a lot of brain space. I'm. I'm kind of right now. I'm just writing more uh, fun stuff for people to read while they're on the beach or waiting in the airport or whatever. It's it's not super intellectually challenging as you probably figured, but it's it's hopefully it it uh, it gets people thinking. Some of it is meant to be like puzzles that you know they're solving along with the characters and all that. Um, I don't know if that answers the question or not, though. <laughs> No, you said that you don't really have any form of writer's blog. But if you do, if sometimes it is tricky to come out, what do you do to grease the wheels? Uh, have you learned any tips or tricks along the way that just helps you out? Well, one thing I I think I think might help others is just the notion of, um, you know, presumably when you're starting writing, you have a beginning and an ending already in mind whether you have that outlined precisely or not and if if i were stuck i would just write the beginning or the end i mean most folks start with the beginning but you know they you can write the end too i mean that's one of the things points i was making in one of the articles i had written um you know write the ending first if you know what the ending is and then that might like lead to it's like a jigsaw puzzle the more you get filled in then the more you start starts to you know your mind starts to run over it and make something more of it i think that's maybe a tip that might work for some people what font do you like to write with paul have you got any strong typeface opinions oh i just use the times new roman you know just the regular (laughs) i don't do anything that's a surprise i thought uh you know because i say because i looked at your website and it's um you know, a bit out there, uh, though there are moments of it. And I don't want to use this word because I don't like the word, but, you know, there are elements of zaniness in there. I was, I was surprised, I was surprised that, um, 
that you're not more creative with your font choice. No, no, that's that's something I haven't gotten into. Um, I might have to try that now. You know, maybe go for one of the uh, '60s era, you know, Beach Boys type faces. You know, like on their Smile album or something that uh, I could I could copy uh, just to inspire me. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hear Shakespeare like you've never heard before. Here's your show. Play on podcasts are epic audio adventures reimagining timeless tales with award-winning actors. Of a forest snake in the cauldron boil and bake. Listen today at playonpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Back to more with Paul in just a sec. If you're enjoying the show, remember you can always support the show over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. If we've given you any tips in the last 270 odd episodes that are just tweaked the way that you work if it's helped you plan your day better if you picked up just a little hint of maybe something that you can do to switch things up if it's really been beneficial to you uh, well you can always uh, pay it back to us i guess patreon.com forward slash writers routine it's just me that works on the show and it's really pledges and uh, your kindness that helps us carry on at bringing you these chats as often as we can with the best authors around uh, you get merch, there is bonus content, there is even a way for your book to sponsor this show. And we've got a writing community over there and we're sharing tips and advice outside of the podcast. If you'd like to get involved and see what's going on and just help the show carry on for as long as we can do this, get to patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it then with JP Ryger. He's got a new detective novel out called Clonk and we talk about how to differentiate your protagonist in a world in a busy genre full of grisly coppers 
Also, you can hear why Paul doesn't write in order. He's a huge fan of writing whenever and whatever he feels. But at the end, when he needs to make the novel, how does he tie those loose threads together? Also, we chat through how he tries to make a detective novel blend with his love of absurdist dark humour. And we get back into it, chatting through the new novel, Clonk, and how it started in a completely different place. Well, this is going to sound absurd, but actually, this the novel started out is a my effort to do a British police procedural. <laughs> so... That's how far afield this wound up going. But I had a short story I had written with this very, you know, proper, cool um, British inspector. And um, it was just a fun short story of his solving a crime. And he's putting up with annoying uh, people in in his police division or whatever. And I thought, well, this is a cool short story I've written up. I'm going to do my next novel will be this character because he was a cool character. And uh, I started writing this, um, this police procedural type thing, but it was, it had humor too. It was the same kind of stuff. And then as I got into it, I realized I know nothing about British police procedures. What am I thinking? I, you know, I've been to London. I love London, maybe half a dozen times. And I love that, but I, I don't even know what half of the, local jargon means and all that i'd be i'm a fish out of water you know like that's that's dumb so then i scrapped the idea of having it in london and all that and thought well you know i can make this baltimore it's got a lot of the elements i like and i wanted to do a police type thing and so basically i just reworked chunks of it and dropped a whole lot of it that you know was not that great anyway and took the good stuff and then managed with that, with the other crazy Baltimore stuff and my own experiences as an attorney. And uh, that's that's how it came to be. So what happened next then? You had this idea about you wanted to write a classic old cop thriller, but then, you know, you know, you don't know enough. So you're going to set it uh, a bit more right what you know. Uh, how much did you sit down and plan through things that you would write, stories that you would recall and remember? How much plotting was there before you started typing that first sentence? Well, that's that's great. That's a good question. I had written the chunks before when it was a procedural, and then I had some of that stuff to work in. But then I came up with a beginning um, because I happened to go to a, you know, a barber shop or whatever you want to call it, a hair salon, um, where I, I got my hair cut. And um, then the idea for the beginning of the novel came to me for no reason. And then um, I thought, okay, now that's that's a good beginning. And then I immediately, the idea for the end came to me. Oh, you know, I won't get it, give any of this away for people that might want to read the novel. And then so I had the beginning and the end, and the rest was like, oh, good. Now I can um, write what you know. I know characters like these characters who I went to high school with. A little earlier because I'm older than these characters would be. And um, I know this, the cop idea. I know who I want the cop to be and the kind of stuff he has to put up with. And then um, it all came together. So let's knock on wood. You know, I was very fortunate to get published by um, a local um, niche publisher that's connected with um, Loyola University here in Baltimore. Um, they have their own. Uh, publishing arm where they teach the students about book publishing 
and publish a certain number of books every year, depending on you know what they decide to publish. And so the kids get this really great experience of helping the writer edit the work and uh, all these other things. Um, and as a writer, you learn a lot. And um, at the end of the day, the book is published within about a year or so. And uh, there you go. So that was my lucky break in actually getting published. Do you care about any of that when you're writing the thing? Uh, like, because not everyone is published by a local university who are using the publishing of your book as a way of teaching students. Um, is, is, are you bothered by any of that when you're writing or is it just brilliant to get your story out still? Oh, I, I'm happy that, you know, I told some friends, it's like um, having your novel sent to Barber College. You know, there might be a few little nicks and cuts on the scalp, but, you know, it's it's worth it. So, but all seriousness, these folks are amazing. They were just wonderful people and the students were brilliant. Um, and I'm really happy with uh, the fact that they chose to publish it and I would publish anything with those guys. Um, that said... I do like, now that I've been published, I do like the idea of getting my future stuff published. And that's why I'm, you know, actively looking for a publisher for my latest novel, which is um, called The Big Comb Over. Um, it's, it is not a police thing. It's actually just a modernized um, comedy of manners featuring various characters. It's basically a story of um, three nephews and their three crazy uncles. And I won't bother your listeners with any of that because that's a long way off. But uh, it's 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 a quite a bit different than Clunk, but it's still it's a humor thing. But I do want to seek. You know, I do like the idea of being published. And you know, like I said before, if I have to go back to self-publishing, you know, so be it. But I can have my fingers crossed and keep my hopes up. Let's talk about Clonk just a, a bit more because, <clears throat> like we've discussed, how a lot of your work is. Like laced with humor. I mean, even the the name itself, Clonk, is that. Uh, but this is a cop detective novel. How much were you th- worried, I guess, about managing to balance the two? Managing to balance a, a grisly detective novel, but also wanting to make it funny. Yeah, that that is a tricky thing. Um, I love dark comedy, and sometimes it's a little over the top for my taste, and sometimes it's a little, a little too, uh, you know, cloying for my taste. But there is a sweet spot that I really like. Um, someone like um, the writer Charles Williford. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he was an American writer who wrote. He was like a Florida writer, one of the early ones, and wrote a whole wrote. Tremendous stuff, you know, from the pulp fiction era to his the time that he passed away in the late '80s, and he came up with a uh, a cop, uh, you know, series featuring a detective named Hoke Mosley, and his novels were just so to me perfectly written with great action and crime and cop stuff, and then absurd humor mixed in, uh, and I. That he was one of my heroes. I thought, man, if I can get Clunk somewhere in that zone, that sweet spot of balancing, uh, you know, being a little edgy with being fun and not offending people, then I got it made. I, I think I close to that. Although you know, fingers crossed, you never know. I I think of you know Kev's motto, you know, 
good deeds well punished. And so I wanted the character to be sort of like an every person who experiences, um, you know, their efforts to try to do good. I mean, most of us, I know, your listeners, all of them, you know, are good people and they want to do good. And then they're stymied by, you know, circumstances and consequences that aren't foreseeable uh, as we all experience in life. And so Kev is that person. He's the person that everyone, I think, can relate to. And his challenges are maybe a bit different than maybe a typical city police officer. He's He is a Catholic guy who's also of um, Indian descent. And so um, he's surrounded by yeah, some racist cops um, that think he's a black man. They don't even... They don't even know what he is because they're, you know, they're racist and they don't really care. And so they're confusing him for a black person, a Hawaiian person, and so forth. And he puts up with all these things. And he actually uses this and manipulates people with this. He uses, um, he pretends to be like the humble, stereo, uh, stereotypical, you know, um, ethnotype and People take it, think they're taking advantage of him, and you know whatever he's turning the tables on them through the through the novel at different points. So that's his way, uh, you know, of sort of working his way through life and still being true to himself and still being a good cop. So hopefully, everyone who reads this will relate to him and and uh, and enjoy that character. So much of humor writing is in language, it's in the words. How much thought did you give to the next word you were writing? How perfect did that need to be? Uh, well, I would um, often just you know write the stuff down that I felt. And sometimes I thought, oh, that's great. And then others, of course, you read it later on the next day or whenever. It's like, hmm, uh, it's, it looked better yesterday. I'll fiddle with it. And then you change it around and you know, you get that chunk done, then you get back to it later. And of course, you know, as an attorney, I'm a constant editor. So, hmm, well, it's, can that be punched up a little? And then you do, you know, and then you're on the other four or five or six other parts of this, of the uh, novel and constantly going back, looking, seeing if it makes sense, making sure the the characterizations are um, consistent in different scenes with the characters. You don't want one of them to, go too far off what you want the reader to believe the character can and will do. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of, um, you know, later manipulations uh, of the text. Let's talk about those later manipulations, because I was reading, is it right, and I think you've mentioned this, that you don't necessarily write in order, and this is something you feel quite strongly about. Yeah, I, I really uh, like just writing whatever piece of the novel I feel like. So, um, you know, the challenge in that is, of course, compiling it all together in a way that will make sense. And, you know, so I used a nonlinear timeline very liberally and had scenes basically jumping around in time significantly to take the readers back to the 90s when they could see these um, guys together at their reunion, their five-year reunion. They could learn about the house flipping problem that a couple of them have gotten themselves into, and then it'll move to another place in Dixit's life with, you know, when he's trying to become a detective inside the, um, you know, 
detective division in the city and so forth. So uh, hopefully the readers will have a little patience because it is like a roller coaster. You're getting thrown around um, in different, you know, chronologies. Um, And if I don't think it's too hard to follow, um, but it's not going to read like a traditional, you know, cozy or something where things you know, there might be a flashback here and there. This is a little bit more offbeat. Um, and uh, I did find one part where I thought, well, you know, putting this here in the timeline is going to definitely startle the reader. They're going to see this scene and not know, like, what the heck happened, you know? And then, oh, this is great. I, I'll do that. It'll be a little nonlinear chunk, really to throw the reader off, but in a way that's fun. And then later on in the novel, you get to the to the scene that precedes it. Um, and then you realize exactly what happened. And I, I kind of like that when I was as a reader. And I, I hope the uh, my readers of this novel don't get too bummed out over that and, and, and enjoy it. As you write more novels, how... Have you got a handle on keeping track of the scenes that you're writing when you are doing it out of order? How much do you have to kind of fix it later in the edit? Or as you kind of move on, are you better at kind of remembering what's happening here and there and how it might all tie together? Oh, that's that's a really good question because the last, most recent novel I did where things were written out of order, um, at some point I said, you know, crap, I really, I better start shuffling these in some way for me to not have to go through these you know, 70, 80 pages of text. Like, what? Where the hell did I, where did I put that part? You know, so then I began at some point about halfway through to try to piece it together uh, closer to the chronology I, I haven't had in mind for the finale, for the, you know, the actual chronology. And, uh, but yeah, for a while there, I was bewildering myself with, you know, where did I put that piece? And you have to go, you know, searching through the document. Um, so I'm learning, you know, I'm a, I, I'm a novice and, uh, but it's fun. I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, I'm enjoying the experience. How much is there a grand aim for your writing career come as it has, you know, playing around while you're retired, getting them published through local universities. Have you, have you got an end goal or ambition of what you would like to do with it? Um, Well, I guess my short term is um, continuing the, the Kev Dixit character into at least one, if not two more novels. I always dreamed of having like a series and people seem to like the character, those who have read the novel. So, and they want, they, oh, we want more Kev. I said, okay. So I had actually already be, I've already begun writing the Kev Dixit, I call it a pre-sequel because it's going to be non-linear too and will take place in other parts of his lifeline that haven't been discussed in Clonk and maybe have some tiny overlaps of little things. And so I'm starting that uh Presently, actually, I've written down some chunks, and uh, I've got the beginning and end too. So it's like, okay, this is good. Um, that's for me. That's the key thing. I can, you know, st- the rest I'll just fill in. So I'm happy about that. And so yeah, the the goal is to do a do a, a clunk type series, uh, and then after that, we'll see. You know.
Thank you so much to Paul J.P. Ryger. That new novel is Clonk and is out right now. You can find it online and seriously look up his website. It's uh, full of very bizarre, strange, wonderfully absurd humour. Uh, hopefully you'll really enjoy that. Next week we're chatting to Kerry Chapper on the show. Uh, she's got a new historical novel out. It's called Chasing Eleanor. You can hear more about that in a few days' time. In the meantime, you can also support the show patreon.com forward slash writer's routine. Make the most of our uh, support of Plotter while you still can. Get to go.plotter.com slash routine. You've got 10% off the software there. And I will see you next week with... Oh, very quickly, uh, remember to send your book recommendations to writersroutine.com. All right, I can't wait to read those. And now I will see you next week with Kerry Chapper on the show. Until then, bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.